God has his eye on you this morning. Praise the Lord. Worship team, thank you so much. Jess, thank you for going for it this morning. Thank you for going for it, girl. Praise the Lord. Can you guys lower the screen there for me and switch it over to my laptop? That'd be great. Um, I think that mic might need to be pulled back just a little bit there. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. I don't see anything yet. There we go. Need a little lower there. Perfect, thanks. Oh, back up. Back up. There. 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 Oh. Okay. Well, the Lord canceled uh, church for us last week so that I get to preach this week and didn't miss anything. See, that's, I, I said, you know, he really does love me. Uh, so he brought all that bad weather last week, so we canceled church, and, and I didn't miss out on anything, see, because I was too sick to come anyway. So I just thought that was pretty convenient. The Lord just took care of it for me because I'm his favorite, and I know that, and it was confirmed last week. There you go. Amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So in the, in the you know, presence of a God who loves you that much. How can you not be having fun here this morning? Amen. You know, um, I told everybody a few weeks ago that I'd been writing a book for the last few years and I'm going to finish it. So the way to finish it is to light a fire under your backside and so start preaching about it so that you got to have it finished by the time you get done the sermon series. So that's been working so far. Uh, so, and I titled the book Good for Nothing. And, uh, because the reality is, is that God made me good, and it cost me what? Nothing. In any Bible, any theology, any story that somebody tries to sell you that doesn't, that has, you know, you paying something for it, you doing something for it, is a false gospel. It costs you absolutely nothing. The Bible says, you who have no money, come and buy right? You know, the, the only way we can get from God is that Jesus did it on our behalf. And, you know, while, you know, but that, are you saying some kind of cheap grace gospel? No, I'm not saying that God, once we uh, become a follower of Jesus Christ, does not have plans for you and purposes for you. Of course he does. But the reality is your salvation was not orchestrated by you one bit. It was completely the work of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen to that. So that's why I, I, I picked that title. And uh, if you... Uh, I would encourage you to, to listen the last couple weeks if you, if you have not, um, uh, so you could get caught up with what we're talking about here this morning. But uh, the first week I talked about our identity uh, and our image and who we are, and, and I talked about how our perception of what other people think of us is the foundation of all self-image in society today. They call it the looking glass self theory, and, and the idea is that the people that are most important to us, you know, when we're young, our parents, our uh, you know, our, our closest relatives, what we think they think about us, what we think they think about us is how we see ourselves. And then as we get a little older, that shifts from our parents to our friends, right? And so what a teenager thinks that their friends think about them is what shapes their self-image. But if you're healthy when you become an adult and you get married and you do all that stuff, 
your image of yourself should come closer home again. It should be what your spouse thinks about you or what your, your children think about you. That image is what shapes you and who you are the most. Now, if you understand that, then now think about it in terms of the lens of becoming a Christian. Then the closer my relationship is with God, then how I believe God sees me shapes my self-image. You see what I mean? And so the closer I get to God, the more how I believe God sees me shapes the way I see myself. So it's no wonder that a healthy Christian with a healthy relationship with God walks around looking a little bit cocky. Right, Mike? Because, like, seriously, we just know we're his favorite, right? And so when you know that, then you can write like John did. You know, John in the, in the scripture, John called himself, I think it's so funny, he always called himself, referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. As if John was loved and the rest weren't, right? But that's how he describes it. Why? Because John had an incredibly healthy relationship with God. And he saw himself the way God sees him, right? And so the closer you get to Jesus, the better your self-image is because you see yourself the way Jesus sees you. Does that make any sense to anybody here this morning? And so, you know, we talked about that. And we talked about how Satan knows us as well. And, uh, and that's why... You know, Satan hates us because you and I are unique and beautiful expressions of the one he truly hates. And so his focus is on destroying us. And then I concluded that first week by a quote from Bill Johnson. God had a dream and he wrapped your body around it. You are, are an expression of God. You are an expression. No, it's not plagiarism because I, I gave him attribution. No, he didn't. See, Barry, Barry has such a healthy self-image of himself that he believes everybody steals from him. You see, that's, that's good. That's good. Uh, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, the reality is, is that that view of yourself, understanding that, that you are, were, were a, a dream in the heart of God, and then he wrapped flesh around it. That you too, in that way, are an incarnation of God. You are, are God's expression, made in his image, and then he wrapped flesh around it, and you are a walking expression of God here on earth. It's hard not to feel pretty good about yourself when you realize that's who you are. Amen? Amen. All right, so we talked about image that first week, and uh, now let's, we talk about the second week about performance. And, you know, our culture tells us you're only as valuable as your performance, you know? And we get this reinforced forced in us for us in school where you got the kids that are really good that they're ahead of the class and then you got the ones that are not so good you know and the ones that maybe should be held back but they're not because we don't do that in school anymore and uh and then you got the you know the the kids who you know get picked last for the sports teams and we get participation trophies because we don't want anyone to feel bad and uh you know because in reality the truth of the matter is work and everything else is that we we tend to get our value from how we perform. And for men, this is particularly difficult. The self-image thing is a little harder for women, you know, because every guy can look in the mirror even if he's 40 pounds overweight and bald and go, I look good, you know. And, uh, well, maybe not every guy, but a lot of guys can do that, right? And, uh, you know, but, but a lot of times, if you know, I was, I was sharing a couple weeks ago how, you know, we'll meet people for the first time and my wife will say, so, you know, we're at, you at a party or something, and then she'll say, you know, well, well how many kids do they have? And I'll go, I don't know. Uh, you know, how long have they been married? I don't know. 
but I know where, they, where the guy works, right? I know what he does for a living. I know what sports team he likes. You know, I know all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. Yeah, the important stuff, right? But all those things that are tied to performance, right? All those things that are tied to that, not the things that are tied necessarily to image. Do you see what I'm saying? And so, you know, it's easy to get caught in this situation because we live in a competitive world. And, uh, and how you perform determines your success. And therefore, by extension, it determines your value in the eyes of many. Success provides value, and this is what we learn, and failure produces shame, right? This is what we learn in our society today, that success provides value, and failure produces shame, and it's a terrible place to be. Yet, the truth is, when it comes to being loved by God, your performance is of no consequence. Now, think about that. I didn't say that your performance is of no consequence to God at all. I just said when it comes to being loved, your performance is of absolutely no consequence. None. Everybody say none. None. It doesn't matter. Whether I do badly or whether I do great, God still loves me. Are you hearing me this morning? He still loves me. It doesn't have any difference or make any difference whatsoever. So, when it comes to the love of God, your performance does not qualify you. Everybody say, does not. It does not qualify you, and your failure does not disqualify you. All right? The reality is, God's love is unconditional. This is what we mean when we say it's unconditional. It means it's not dependent on any condition or state of my being. God's love for me does not depend on that whatsoever. It is unconditional. So those are the things we covered the first couple weeks. Now this morning, I want to shift a little bit, and I want to talk about, uh, you know, being valuable, though, and being useful. I want to talk about this because I think this is important for us today. So, Father, I just ask this morning, by your grace, that you'd uh, help uh, me to, to bring across this understanding to take us just another step further in understanding uh, my value to God and my usefulness to God. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk about being valuable and useful. Now here's the first th- point. My value to God is rooted in sonship. Everybody read that together with me this morning. My value to God is rooted in sonship. Now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by the fact that my value to God is rooted in sonship? Well, what I mean is that I'm valuable because I'm a son. I'm valuable to God because I am son. I am valuable to God because of the relationship that I have to him. I'm valuable because I'm his son. When I use the term son, I I include daughters as well. And as I explain to people all the time, uh, ladies, you can be a son of God if I can be the bride of Christ. All right? It's all fair. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, so I don't have to keep saying sons and daughters. I'm just, it's, it's all good. If, 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 if uh, I can be the bride, then, and I don't think I'd look that good in a wedding dress, I think you can be a son. So we're okay. So anyway, uh, uh, I am valuable because of my relationship to him. I am his son. I am his daughter. I'm loved and I'm valuable to him because 
of my family relationship to him. Amen? That's what gives me value. My value is rooted in that. It's rooted in my relationship as a son. Let me explain this for you. Um, When we were only married a couple years, 1986, our first child, Ryan, was born. And uh, from the day he popped out, and pop might be not such a good term to use, because at 9'6", nothing pops out. You know what I'm saying? But from the moment that he was born, from the moment that I held him in my arms, Ryan was valuable to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? That he was more valuable to me than anything that I possessed. He was more valuable to me than my own life. That from the moment that he was born, I would have laid my life down for this child. Now, when Amanda was born, I mean, it took it to a whole new level. You know what I'm saying? Isn't that right, sweetheart? And, uh, you know, when I held my first daughter in my hands, my only daughter in my hands, and I looked at her, I'm, again, that same sense of, oh, my goodness. So valuable. So valuable to your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and there is absolutely nothing that Ryan had done or Amanda had done or Derek had done to earn the value. They were valuable because they were a son or a daughter. More valuable than any other child on the planet. Are you hearing me? Parents, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you get me? See, that's why the Bible uses a lot of language of family and and father and son and daughter and and all of this. Why does it use this language? Because it knows we were created by God in his image. We were created to understand, to live, and embrace that language. We can relate to it. So when God wants us to see ourselves as sons, he wants to see ourselves as daughters, guess what? He is working from this place where he knows that if we'll see ourselves that way, we know what it was like when we held our child for the first time. That their value is rooted in their identity as our child. You could look at all in the window and through the glass, you know, I was show on television, right? And there are all those babies there, right? You know, at the nursery, at the hospital. And yet you only see one child, don't you? And you're not looking at that child going, well, you know, the one beside is a little cuter. <laughs> Seriously? No, of course you're not doing that. You're like, oh my goodness. Look at my son. Look at my daughter. Oh. 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 Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Right? Even if they're born in a hallway, right, Randy? I mean, that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter where it happens. It's like the most beautiful, beautiful, wonderful, valuable thing in the world has just been deposited into your life. And its value is simply because of relationship. Pure and simple because of relationship. The moment Ryan was born, he was more valuable, as I said, than my very own life. 
every one of us here would lay our lives down for our children. If you wouldn't, then you need to talk to me afterwards. We have, can schedule some therapy. We can, we can start working on that right now. Because in truth, this is, this is the way it is, right? So if you understand that, if you understand that, then you understand your value to God, right? We are his creation. We're made in his image. He looks, he looks at us and says, that's my child. See, look, they got, they've got my nose. They've got my, my whatever. You know what I'm saying? That's my child, Furthermore, you're so valuable to God that he sent his very own son to redeem you. Oh, mind-boggling. 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 Then you've been adopted, grafted into the family. You've become joint heirs with Christ himself. That is how much of a part of the family you are, that everything is his, he says is yours. Do you get that this morning? Whew. Wow. My value is a byproduct of the son that I have become. I am family. I am family. I am valuable. Say that with me this morning. I am family. I am valuable. Do you get that this morning? Well, you know, but I'm only valuable if, if I come to church every week. <clears throat> Wrong. I come to church every week because I'm valuable. See how I just twisted that around? Right? I'm not valuable because I come to church. I come to church because I'm valuable. I come to church to show off. I get to say, look, I'm his favorite. He loves me. I, come and I, get, I get to be able to say, look, no, no, not you, Martin, me. It's, it's me, you know. Uh, you know, I get, I get to be able to come and say, Jesus, 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 thank you for loving me. See, I never look at church as an obligation. I look at it as an opportunity. I never look at gathering with other believers as an obligation. I never look at spending time with my brothers and sisters as an obligation. It's an opportunity. We went away to the conference this week, uh, the four of us. It was an opportunity. There's no obligation attached to it. It was opportunity. Opportunity to enjoy one another, to have fun. I said eight. Did I say four? Okay, all eight of us. There you go. Yeah, they were there too. <clears throat> All of us. And it was, not, it was not obligation. It was opportunity to share and to, to be blessed and to encourage and to, to have a good time. Right? Also to eat some good food. Hallelujah. That's never bad. You hear what I'm saying? And, and my value and our value to each other is rooted also in that relationship. Are you hearing me? Okay, so is this ever clear to everybody? Your value to God is rooted in what? It's who you are, right? That's what your value is. Now, let's move on. My usefulness is rooted in partnership. So my value is, is rooted in sonship. But my usefulness is rooted in partnership. Now, let me explain this. That is that I am more or less useful to God to the degree that I am able, everybody say able, to partner with him. Now, able is not a reference to physical ability. It is a reference to mature ability, right? 
So my usefulness to God is determined by the degree that I'm able to partner with him. Because as I mentioned earlier in the service, God does not want to work on this earth outside of the partnership relationship with the body of Christ. Right? He wants to get it done through us. He doesn't want to go around us. He wants to do it through us. So my usefulness to God is based on the degree to which I can partner with him. And I am partnering with him. Do you get this this morning? This is important. This is extremely important. You got to get this into your craw. All right? So the more mature, more surrendered, then the more useful I am and better partner I become. Does everybody get that this morning? The more mature, the more surrendered, right? Then the more useful I am and the better partner I become. Are you getting this today? So my usefulness is rooted in that ability for me to walk in partnership. And partnership, my ability to be a useful partner is rooted in my maturity, my surrenderedness, perhaps even maybe some knowledge, study, that I, uh, study to show yourself approved, a workman of God that needeth not be ashamed, who can rightfully handle or divide the word of truth, right? See, all of these things, they impact my usefulness and they impact my ability to partner with God. And as I've said, God is all about partnership. He has chosen to partner with us. Praise the Lord. Now, get this. My usefulness does not increase my value. Can I have an amen to that, please? My usefulness does not increase my value. That's why it's, you got to start with value, because if you start preaching usefulness first, then people get it all messed up. No, no, no. My usefulness to God does not increase my value. Does not increase it. Let me ask you a question. Does your son or daughter's value increase with age, maturity, and capability? Of course not. Ryan is not more valuable to me now that he can build a house. He's not. Just as if he, you know, was incapable of working at it tomorrow, he would become less valuable to me. My daughter's not more valuable to me now because she's able to work in the office. And one day as the church grows, she's going to be my personal assistant. I've already told her that's going to be her job description. Uh, she's going she's to just, just get right in there and, and, and work and partner with dad to, to change the world. That's what's going to happen. But, but you know what? All the work that she does does not change her value. Her value to me is exactly the same. I love her regardless. It doesn't change it at all. Does your son or daughter's usefulness increase with age, maturity, and capability? Yes, we're hoping so. Of course it does. Of course it does, folks. When, when your children are born, all they can do is cry, eat, sleep, and poop. That's it. There's not very much useful about that. Seriously. About the only thing they're useful for is an excuse not to go somewhere you didn't want to go. You can just say, you know, can't go today, got the baby, got to take care of the baby, sorry. Right? 
That's about it. That is about it. I think, I think that's all the use that we had, all the usefulness that our children brought to us when they were young. Right? Then when they get about two, three, they, they may be able to, with some coaxing and some encouragement and lots of training, help cleaning up their own toys. Right? Smidgen of usefulness comes in there. Just a smidgen. And as they get a little older, you know, you get to be five, six, you know, now they can go out and maybe help you rake up some leaves or take out the garbage or do a little bit of the recycling. Little bit more usefulness. But then as they become a teenager and they move into adulthood, well, now it's time to milk them for all they're worth. I mean, you spent all that time investing in them when they were children. Now it's payback, hallelujah, right? And now the usefulness just comes in wave after wave. And so sure, they become more useful, but the entire time their value never changed. Are you hearing me this morning? And so many times as Christians, we confuse our usefulness to God with our value to God. And that's where comparing comes in. Comparing is a terrible evil. When you compare yourself to another brother or sister, somebody who's, who's maybe more talented or more capable at this or more capable at that, and you compare yourself and you're, you're, you feel less worth, less value because you're not able to do what they're able to do. What a horrible, horrible indictment on your life. Your value to God is not diminished because of your inability. It's not diminished because you may lack this skill or that skill or this gift or that gift. Your value is not diminished. And, and likewise, those of you who have been gifted and maybe have great talents, you're not more valuable because you're more able. God doesn't love you more because you're, you can sing or because you can preach or because you can teach or because you can build or because you can do this or you can do that. All of the things we like to attach value to? No. Your value is not improved by those things one bit. Your usefulness? Sure. Maybe God can use, God used Billy Graham a lot more than he used me and I'm okay with that. But Billy Graham was not more valuable than me. I'm just as valuable as Billy Graham. Hallelujah. Mm, just as valuable. That makes you feel good. When you can look at your life and you can say, I'm just as valuable as Billy Graham. Hallelujah. And that is the truth you are. It doesn't matter if you have all of his abilities or skills. You know, all that matters is that you did what God called you to do. Right? That's all that matters, that no spirit of rebellion or no spirit of, of withholding was found in you, that you were willing to do whatever God called you to do, then your assignment is your assignment, and you're just able to say, thank you, Jesus, and I'm no more or less valuable because my assignment is no more or less important than somebody else's. My value never changes. I'm valuable because I'm his son. That's why I'm valuable. I'm not valuable because of what I can do. And, you know, some of you are... In relationships and in marriages where many times that's how you feel. You feel like you're only valuable to your spouse because of what you can provide, what you can do. It's a terrible feeling, isn't it? When you feel that your value hinges upon performance one way or another. Upon your usefulness one way or another. Or women, maybe you feel so much pressure that if I don't just look a certain way that my husband's no longer, you know, going to be attracted to me. What a lie from the enemy. 
You know, the Bible says beauty is fleeting. No matter how good you look, when you look in the mirror today, one day you ain't going to look quite the same. Gravity affects us all. It's pulling down. Things sag and things aren't in the right places that they used to be. It's the reality of it. Things lose their color. They go gray and white. You know, weight starts to come on in places it wasn't before. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? And if, and if you married somebody because, you know, he is so hot or she is so hot, and that's why you married them, boy, are you in for a big surprise. Because one day, one day, Father Time is going to catch up, and they are not going to look the same. There better be something deeper that you base that value on than image. And if you married that person because they were rich or because of their, their career or whatever, there better be something deeper because one day they may not be able to do that job. One day they may have lost all that investment. One day they may not have that position or that job anymore. And you know what? You better have something that you put your value in that was more than their usefulness. Are you hearing me this morning? It better be love. And love, we've already heard this morning, love is unconditional. Are you hearing me today? Everybody say, he's just about done. Praise the Lord. All right. <sighs> the more mature I become, the more knowledgeable I am, the more transformed my heart becomes, the more surrendered my will, then the more useful I am to God. And he invites me into partnership. Are you hearing me this morning? Are you hearing me this morning? It does make me more valuable, but it does make me more useful. It does make me more useful. And how many know God wants to be able to partner with you? God wants you to be in partnership with him. That's how we're going to change the world, is through partnership. That's how it's going to happen. So, all right, as I close, what did we learn today? What was the message of grace today? Here it is. What was the message of grace today? Your value is rooted in sonship. Everybody say that together. My value is rooted in sonship. And my usefulness is rooted in partnership. Say that with me. My usefulness is rooted in partnership. That's what we learned today. That's what we learned today cannot earn God's grace. You can't. You can't make them love you more. You can't change your value to God. You're already worth more than all the wealth in the world to God. What you can do is you can improve your usefulness to God in the partnership that he's called you to. And the scripture talks about that all the time, about studying and applying yourself, disciplining yourself. It talks about all those things. Never, ever, ever does it talk about those things as connecting to your value. That somehow God will love you if you do this. Somehow you'll be valuable to God if you do that. No. But it is attached to your usefulness. The ability for God to use me is completely directly tied, not to just how he loves me or values me, but it's tied to how I'm willing to let him work through me. How much I'm willing to surrender how much I'm willing to apply myself, 
how much I'm willing to, to trust him, how much I'm willing to exercise faith, how much I'm willing to get a hold of his spirit of generosity. All of these things affect my usefulness. They don't make me more valuable, but they do make me more useful. You hear me this morning? Now, aren't you glad you're valuable to God? Aren't you glad there's nothing you can do that can increase your value to God? Aren't you glad that God thinks you're more valuable than all of the wealth in the world? You are valuable to God. But aren't you excited that you can become even more useful to God than you are today? That if you just surrender a little bit more, if you'll just trust a little bit more, if you'll just study a little bit more, if you'll just apply yourself a little bit more, love a little bit more, give a little bit more, guess what? God can do even more through your life. He won't love you anymore. No, don't ever fall into that trap. You know, you put that offering in the offering plate, say, oh, God's really going to love me now. No, mm-mm. In fact, you might go, oh, that stunk so bad. Why did you do that? Oh, that's terrible. Why did you do that? I love you, but that was awful. You know what I'm saying? Not going to make him love you anymore. But he might go, thank you for doing that. I can use that to change this life over here, to do this over there. Are you hearing me this morning? All right, stand with me this morning. What's that? As Pastor Kevin was sharing, uh, a lot of times this operates in the fact that we think we should be healed because we were especially good this week. Or we, we can get healed now because I sowed a seed or we can be healed. I just want to tell you, your goodness or lack of goodness does not determine your healing or your ability to receive healing. Healing is part of the atonement and, and I just feel that there's some people right now, your heart is being healed. There's like the, uh, the left side of your heart right now is unclogging. Your, your, that pain is lifting off of you right now. There's kidneys being healed right now in Jesus' name. And it has nothing to do with what you did or did not do. You could have had the worst week and you sinned the greatest you've ever done. And it has nothing to do with you receiving right now your healing. So I release the healing anointing to go into every fiber of your being and that you would receive by grace and faith in what he did already. He's already purchased. So, Father, we receive the healing anointing this morning for everyone in this room. Do not leave without your healing today in Jesus' name because it's been purchased for right now in Jesus' name. Colitis is being healed right now. I just heard colitis, and that's being healed right now. Bowel conditions are being healed right now in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Kidney disease, Mm. you will not. You you stop right now. Right now. You back up and you get out. Spirit of infirmity attacking kidneys, come out right now. You're not allowed. Yeah, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Migraine headaches mm. go mm-hmm. in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You're not allowed to be in, 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 our, in our brains, around our minds. Mm-hmm. In Jesus' name. Shandora Bokuranda. Oh, 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen, Jesus. Amen, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus. Did you receive that this morning? It's one of the very first tests of this truth is when it comes to something like healing. All of a sudden... Everything you just heard goes out the window. You start thinking it's tied to performance again. It's not. It's not. The greatest healings I've had in my life have come when I wasn't even looking for them. Didn't deserve, them. Didn't deserve it. Was in a place where pff, I didn't deserve that. God just did it. Are you hearing me? That doesn't mean you should go out and try to make yourself even more undeserving so God could have more pity on you. That's, you know what I'm saying? As Paul said, should I sin so the grace can abound more? No. But the point that we're trying to get across is that healing is tied to the atonement, which is tied to his love for you. It's not tied to anything else. It's not tied to performance. Well, if I just fast and pray for 13 weeks, then God will heal me. We'll talk about why those things affect and have an impact on healing and breakthrough in weeks to come, but... Make sure you understand this today. It's got nothing to do with your value. Nothing to do with your value. One more, but it's 20 or 18 minutes too. So. Can you just lift your hands? <laughs> Can you lift your hands towards Pastor Kevin? Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Even though his value is not, uh, because he, he doesn't deserve healing, God purchased it for him. <laughs> but as a body, here's the fact of the matter. We're an apostolic house. Can, can I get an amen somewhere? We're an apostolic house, and, and an apostolic house is placed in the midst of chaos to bring forth order. So our usefulness is, is growing up bigger than the sickness attacking us. We've been placed in chaos to bring forth order, and that's what an apostolic center does. So you, you may feel the attacks more than any, any other church, and I'm just telling you the truth, but I'll tell you, you're going to have more victories and more, and more uh, gracious presence of God and things that, that, will, that you uh, could never even imagine or think going to happen in your life because you're attached to this house. So, Father God, right now, we pray over Pastor Kevin and Sherry as they, as they stand in the midst of the, this, this uh, sickness and, and different things that are going on, Lord God, in, in our bodies, Lord God. And, Father, we thank you for the greater grace, Lord God, so that we could be more useful, Lord God, to your kingdom, so that we could bring more light, so we could bring more freedom, so we could bring more liberty, Lord God. And, Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for touching this mortal body of Kevin Dowling's, Lord, quickening. We speak to the quickening right now in Jesus name a quickening to his mortal body rise up spirit of the living God rise up in the midst of Kevin right now displace this and father God we thank you for dominion over sickness and disease in the spirit of infirmity from this point on at a greater level we receive that greater grace in Jesus mighty name somebody say amen please amen and Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, you guys are awesome. Don't anyone even tell you otherwise? You can say, someone says, well, you know, you're this or that. I say, no, 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 no. That's not what God said. God said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Hallelujah. Amen. You know, uh, have an amazing week. Uh, if you'd like to just come, we'd, we'd love to pray with you. If you're just saying, I need agreement, maybe you need a physical healing, you need something confirmed in your body today, you need uh, a financial breakthrough, we want to pray with you this morning. Uh, I know some of you got to go pick your kids up and all that kind of stuff. So we release you. God bless you. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Don't forget, next Sunday, I mean, you got a four-course dinner. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, we are going to have an amazing week next Sunday. God bless you.